You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. We are talking a lot of basketball this week. We are transitioning from football as the Pirates have not played a game in about a week and a half to more basketball talk. We've also got some recruiting talk. But most importantly, we've got a new guest co-host. Uh, people have been clamoring for a female guest co-host, so we have uh, her on the line. She is Lee Pizzatella. She's an intern with Hoist the Colors. She's making her podcast debut. I don't know how nervous you are, Lee, but you shouldn't be nervous because I say a lot of stupid shit all the time. Um but welcome into the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. And you're, you're almost like a veteran at this. I, I saw that you've been on another podcast uh, talking about, you know, females in sports. So you should be completely comfortable, right? Um. Yeah, I'm definitely not as nervous as I was um, with my first podcast. So I feel like I have a little more. I'm not. I'm, I have a little more experience, but I'm still kind of nervous, but. I'm okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, people that follow Hoist of Colors, they've been seeing your work on hoistofcolors.net. Uh, we covered the SMU game, uh, the finale together. Uh, so you were there for that game. You also covered a game earlier in the season. I want to talk about kind of how different it's been covering games during COVID-19, the pandemic. Uh, you were also with us last year. This is your second year intern with Hoist of Colors. For people unfamiliar, we've actually got three interns. Jonathan Wagner, you've heard on this podcast a lot. We've had him on a couple times. Uh, Alexis Alvarez is our third intern along with Lee. And Alexis, uh, I was texting her last night. She's um, she's going to make her podcast debut in a couple weeks. She's nervous about her voice sounding annoying. Um, so we will see how that transpires. But I, I think Alexis will do fine. Um, I think Jonathan's done a great job, and I think you'll do a great job as well, Lee. Uh, we're going to talk a lot of basketball uh, I know, Lee, you watched last night's ECU-UNCW game, and that is uh, a, a thrilling win for ECU, which we'll get into here in a minute. But first, I want to kind of introduce you, Lee, to our fans uh, on Hoist the Colors and just ECU fans in general. Um, take us through some of your background. I know you're a fellow Conley grad like myself. Um, and take us through what got you into kind of sports writing and, and, and your background. Um, so I'm a junior at ECU. Um, so I'm from Greenville. I went to Conley. Um, and I've always grown up around sports. Um, my dad, uh, played college soccer here at ECU and my brothers, I have two older brothers, they played sports. Um, so I was always around it and it wasn't until probably like, I don't know, maybe midway through high school, I really started to get into sports and, you know, really be interested in it. And then I realized that I think I would like doing sports writing. So um, when I got to college, um, I got an internship with another um, sports writing, um, I guess, newspaper. But yeah, then I, I've been with Hoist of Colors for two years now, and it's been great. Yeah, we've enjoyed having you on. And I, I hate it for you, Alexis and uh, Jonathan, because, you know, last year – 
I like to have you guys as interns for multiple years because it kind of takes some time to get used to everything that involves with, with sports writing, sports coverage, this day and age. I mean, there's so much to do. Last year was kind of you were learning on the fly. Uh, it was a normal year, luckily, so you guys got to cover games. I would be able to take most of you guys to two or three uh, or two two people to, to every game, really, for football and then one for basketball. Uh, in a normal year, you guys did a lot of social media stuff uh, with that. You helped me out with the site this year. Uh, unfortunately, COVID has put us in some major restrictions. We were luckily able to still get two passes for every home football game, but there were limited home football games. Uh, and also for basketball right now, we have just one uh, writer's pass. So I'm trying to give you guys the opportunity to cover games while also covering it myself. So a little difficult there. don't know what baseball is going to look like, but between the – you know, no fans being in the stands, stands, limited access. Last year, you guys were able to go to practice and kind of do some post-practice press conferences. Uh, what's it been like, Lee, getting kind of your feet wet in this career and trying to do it in a pandemic? Uh, how do you kind of compare this year to last year? Um, well, it's been it's been really weird. Um, so last year, um, it was obviously – you know, everything was normal and I was, I was kind of nervous for everything. And, you know, press box was full for all the sports. There's fans around, but this year it was weird. It was, I don't know. It was just weird. So I've worked football so far this year um, with the pandemic and I don't know, it's just been strange with no fans. The press box is weird. Me and Steven sit like three feet apart up there. So like we don't speak really, (laughs) but um, it's just been, it's very strange. Um, especially at football games, like like when the band would be playing during halftime, they just show like a recording of it. And, or if like the t- somebody scores um, on our team, it's just kind of quiet in the stadium. Um, so it's been, it's been very strange. Yeah. It's been awkward. And, and like you said, you grew up kind of going to games in Greenville uh, with your family. Um, what, what has your dad, I think his name's Jeff. Is that right? Yeah. What has he told you about his playing days uh, in, in soccer? Does he does he still brag about those? Um, not really. Actually, it actually took me forever to like put it together that he played college soccer. Like I knew he grew up playing sports and it, he played soccer, but after a while, I was like, "Oh, you played college soccer? Oh, okay." Um, no, he's pretty, he's pretty he's pretty humble about his soccer days, but he's long gone with that. But yeah, he's been awesome. He's I think he's a huge part of like my love for sports and you know, he taught me pretty much everything I know. So lots of props to him. So you went to Conley, uh, just like myself, but I, I think you were in the same class as Holton Aylers. Am I correct on that? Yeah. So how weird is it watching Holton obviously had the success he is. And I know you kind of know his family a little bit. And then also CJ Johnson was a year underneath you guys. And I'm trying to think back to my high school days. Like we had some good players that played baseball, basketball, and football, but nobody that really went on to do something this big in terms of kind of getting some national notoriety for their athletic achievements. How uh, how weird has that been? Has it been kind of cool to, to cover them? Because I know you've written about them as well. Yeah, it's it's been really cool. So, yeah, I've I've grown up with Holton my whole life. We, we've known each other since preschool. We were in the same preschool class and all that. Um and our families are really close, so it's been really, really cool seeing him play, and I get to write about him, which is really neat. Um, so, and it's, I mean, it's awesome seeing him be successful. Um, and then CJ, yeah, I, I never really knew CJ too much in high school, but I mean, I definitely remember seeing him around. So it is really, really neat seeing him 
you know, be so successful at ECU as well. All right, Lee, let's transition now into um, some ECU athletics talk. We're going to talk basketball here in a minute, but I do want to get your take. You were able to to see the SMU game uh, with me. You mentioned it, not many fans there. I think 3,500 to be precise, but it was the best game of the Mike Houston era uh, to close out his second year at ECU. And I think we kind of looked at each other in the press box watching the first half unfold. Like, is this actually ECU football right now? Just kind of what were your thoughts watching that game unfold uh, as you were sitting in the press box? Yeah, um, I was pretty shocked. I mean, I think that was definitely the game that everybody's been waiting for. Um, You know, it was weird. I mean, we were scoring, you know, right off the bat. So, I mean, first of all, that was just, you know, kind of out of the ordinary. Um, And then and just to see, like, I think the first, like, crazy play with, was um, with Luke Larson with the fake punt. So, and I think that kind of, like, woke everybody up. And we were like, oh, wow, look at us. Um, and then, you know, we just continued to just be really impressive after that. Um, so it was, it was really crazy to see. And I think that was definitely the most exciting um, ECU football game I've seen. Um, definitely, I think, I think in my lifetime, only because I've really only been watching sports for not too, too long. But... Um, yeah, it was, it was really cool to see in person. I'm really lucky I got to work that game. Yeah. You picked a good one to work. Uh, so that your, uh, your fellow interns were probably a little jealous. Although Jonathan, I know was sitting in the, uh, boneyard. So he got to experience it. I think that was his last, last game as a student, last football game. Cause he's in his senior year. Um, and, uh, so, you know, just glad we could see a complete effort from Mike Houston's team, uh, to close out the season. Uh, let's talk basketball, Lee. Man, what a game last night. We're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. ECU, UNCW in hoops. And uh, East Carolina and UNCW have had a long uh, withstanding rivalry uh, on the basketball court, really dating back to uh, many years as they used to be CAA rivals before ECU left for Conference USA and now the American. They renewed their rivalry last night. ECU comes out on top with an 88-78 victory in overtime. I think Jaden Gardner said it best after the game. That was one of the craziest games I've ever been a part of. I know watching it, um, it's one of the craziest games I've ever watched. Lee, just kind of your initial thoughts on last night's game and, and how ECU was able to pull out a, a win to improve to 4-0. Yeah, um, well, I think for the most part um, – the team's been really good this season, which is, you know, kind of a surprise because the team's been pretty, um, they've been struggling for a while. Um, so it's really exciting to see them um, be successful. And um, I mean, they came out really strong. That first half was really exciting. Um, and then, you know, they kind of, they kind of scared me for a while. Like in the second half, they came out kind of slow um, and lost their lead for a little bit, but it was really exciting with overtime and, you know, Jaden Gardner's awesome. He, always pulls through so yeah it was it was awesome and I'm really excited to see the team for the rest of the season yeah the 4-0 start only the fourth time in school history since ECU has been a division one team that the Pirates have been 4-0 also only the first time they've been 4-0 since the 2013 calendar year so seven years uh, there they look for a 5-0 start against North Florida on Thursday want to talk about some of the specifics of this game Lee uh, the Pirates led at halftime 51-37, and I want to kind of focus on the first half first. Um, they did that pretty much the entire first half without Jaden Gardner, which means guys like J.J. Miles uh, stepped up in a big way. 
Uh, Batumba Baruti had a big game and hit some clutch shots in the first half. Tristan Newton came through. Uh, Luigi Debo was great off the bench. Just, I mean, if you would have told me that Jaden Gardner would have only played four minutes in the first half and EC would lead, you know, by 14, I would have been pretty shocked. Just how, how surprising was that first half, especially considering Gardner wasn't really a factor. Yeah, I mean, I was I was shocked when, you know, they were, what, like not too far into the first half and then, you know, Jaden comes out. And there's a couple other players, I think, if I'm if I'm right, that were also on the bench because they were in foul trouble too. So I was kind of panicking for a minute because I was like, oh, no. But, you know, it was – I think it really was a blessing in disguise for some of the other players because they were able to really step up and show their potential as well. Um so it was super exciting to see. And yeah, like what you said, I mean, I wouldn't have believed it if I saw the, the score of the first half and somebody would have said, oh yeah, Jaden Garner, he didn't play most of the first half. I would have been shocked, but I think it was really nice to see some of the other guys step up and get to prove themselves. Yeah, the the other players that you mentioned, kind of Brandon Suggs was in foul trouble and he's a key player for ECU. I think he only played four minutes of the first half as well. Uh, DeBoe, Exited late in the first half of foul trouble. I think Charles Coleman had two fouls. So, I mean, you had four or five guys with two fouls uh, late in that first half. And ECU was able to really take it to the Seahawks in that first half. So, 51-37 at halftime. And then the second half happens. And I'm like, what the hell is going on out here? Uh, I'm sure Joe Dooley was was saying the same. And uh, really just looking at some of his reactions on the bench, I think he was kind of perplexed at just – how bad they played for a stretch of the second half. And UNCW goes on a 30-6 to run. They take a 10-point lead, I think, with around seven minutes to go. And at that point, I'll be honestly, I thought the game was over and I thought UNCW was going to win. Just uh, what were your thoughts at that time? Nope, same here. I definitely thought that – I thought that was definitely we were going to blow our um, record. I thought we were going to lose that game for a while. But some, I mean, I was, I was kind of in panic mode. I was like, oh gosh, I'm going to have to do this podcast tomorrow, talking about them losing. But um, I mean, they really came through with the, I mean, they were very surprising and it was, it was pretty crazy over time and everything. Yeah. Winning podcast, much better than a losing podcast. So the Pirates came through for you. Uh, they came through for us because uh, the fans, the questions will be, would be a lot differently if they would have lost that game. We'd be having to answer all sorts of random stuff about why was a player pulled here, why was a player not in the game, why were they taking this shot, etc. So uh, the Pirates did us a favor there. When everybody, when the team wins, everybody's happy. Nothing fixes winning, or nothing fixes everything quite like winning. Uh, so the Pirates four and zero, like you said in in second in the second half. I thought Batuma Baruti hit some just absolutely clutch threes late in the game, and he was a guy who was kind of erratic last year. It was good to see him really kind of coming to his own early this season, and he continued that last night. I think he hit a game-time three to nod it at 73-all late in the game, and then J.J. Miles scored a career-high 22. But in overtime, Lee, it was old reliable Jaden Gardner, and despite not having his best night, he kind of stepped up and uh, carried the way, and I guess that's what you have to expect when you're ECU. Yeah, for sure. I think – I mean, I think we've all seen the past few years that Jaden Gardner's been here. He's extremely reliable. Like, I mean, most of the time you give him the ball and he's he's good. Um, so I think I think he definitely stood out. Um, and, he, I mean, he just continues to prove how good of an asset he is to the team. Um, and, yeah, I think the team looked really good in overtime. And 
thankfully they were able to pull out that win. Pirates outscore UNCW 15-5 to in overtime. They win it 88-78. ECU, like we said, improves to 4-0. and UNC Wilmington falls to 2-2. Two and two. Uh, Just want to run over some final stats here. The biggest stat of the game for me, ECU goes 14-24 of 24 from three-point range. Uh, the best shooting performance, I think, since 2015, I read. Um, don't quote me on that, but uh, from the outside. So, I mean, they shot nearly 60% from three-point range, which we know ECU is not a great three-point shooting team, at least historically. So that was a surprise and really led to the victory. J.J. Miles hit six of those threes in seven attempts. Uh, Baruti, Tristan Newton, and Tremont Robinson-White all hit two apiece. And Jaden Gardner, we talked about it, despite his off night, which a lot of players would take, he finishes with 16 points and 11 rebounds to double-double. So uh, quite the performance from the Pirates. Again, they moved to 4-0, and they take on North Florida on Thursday. And again, as we record these podcasts, We'll read the schedule as it is, but the, it really is day-to-day right now with COVID-19 and all the testing and everything involved there. So the Pirates scheduled to play North Florida Thursday at 5 p.m. inside Menjis, and they'll have their conference opener December 16th at SMU, which I think will be the real big first test of this season. So I uh, want to transition now, Lee, and get into some of our questions here. we got a couple uh, that uh, want to uh, pitch to you. We got one specifically for you, Lee, but uh, sticking with <laughs> basketball, um, the Pirates right now are 4-0, which, again, is, is only the fourth time in program history this is this has happened. Uh, and we have a poster that asked on the Hoist the Colors message board. He wants to know, what's the most impressive aspect of this 4-0 start for ECU? Lee, I'll let you go first. Um yeah, I know maybe you haven't seen all the games from start to finish, but uh, kind of watching last night, knowing the history of this program, what, what do you think is the most impressive aspect of uh, the Pirates' 4-0 start? Um, I would say that they've really played with a lot of persistence and a lot of heart. Um, I think that, you know, last night they started off really strong and then they struggled in the second half and then, you know, they were able to pull through and win. So I think that they've They've been um, really good with being persistent and just, you know, working really hard. And I think it's just, um, you know, really impressive that um, they've been so well so far. And I think a big part of it is, you know, lots of the team is return, like they, they're returning from last year. So I think that that's played a really huge role in just, you know, how successful they've been because they're comfortable with each other. They've experienced, you know, playing time with each other already. Um so yeah, I think I think a lot of heart they've been playing with, and um, the fact that they're returning has been a been a huge deal. Yeah, I mean I, I can't disagree with any of that because in a year like COVID, with so many limited hours and shutdowns and all that stuff with so many teams across the country, it's been hard to find continuity. And like you said, eleven scholarship players returned for ECU from last year's team, so they really kind of know what they have in each other, and the coaching staff knows what they have, and I think that's why we're seeing some early success by ECU here. Um, you know, for me, the you know, outside of the resiliency, you know, the persistent, like Lee said, you know, find a way to win last night when in that second half, I mean, I just – I thought the game was over. So that was that was a major, major uh, strong sign for ECU. You know, the other thing has been I think the defense has been good. They're, they're only giving up 62 points a game right now, which is a very solid number. And the three-point shooting, which, again, has helped out great. 
by last night's game, and it's a small sample size. But right now, ECU as a team is shooting 37.5% from three-point range. Last year, they shot 27%, so that is a major increase. And even if they can find a way to shoot in the low 30s, 33 34% as a team, that'll be enough, I think, with their talent and athleticism to allow them to compete in the American, which is a very good basketball league. Uh, opponents, meanwhile, are only shooting 27.6% from three-point range against them. So the Pirates are shooting 10% better from three than their opponents, and that's going to win you a ton of basketball games with the three-point shots. So uh, those are a few things. Again, 4-0, and and the Pirates haven't really been tested by anybody major, but UNCW is a really good uh, rivalry game, and I thought it was good to see ECU pull that one out last night to, in, to move to 4-0. and all right, Lee, final question for you, because we got a bunch of recruiting and per- personnel questions that I don't expect you to know as part of your internship, because I don't get you guys to cover recruiting. But ECU Pirates backwards, he wants to know, Lee, who is your favorite Pirate of all time? Um, so I've been thinking long and hard about this, and I think I would have to say, so let me give some, let me give a little background. So like I said earlier, I haven't really, I, you know, I really got in, I've grown up going to ECU football games literally my entire life. I didn't really start paying attention until like I was midway through high school. So around that time was when Zay Jones was here. And I think that he was the first player at ECU that I was like really rooting for. You know, he had an outstanding career here at ECU. And I think he was the first guy that I was like, oh yeah, he's really good. I really like him. I'm rooting for him. Um, and so, um, it was great watching him play amazingly here. So I'd have to say he's my favorite all-time player at the moment. Of course that can change, but yeah, I said, I'd say for right now it's Zay Jones. I really thought you were going to go with, uh, Jeff Pizzatella as seen as he played, uh, some big soccer oh. back in the day. Wait, I really should, I should have said that. <laughs> I, All right, honorary mention. My dad is my favorite pirate. Yeah, hopefully he doesn't listen to the podcast. Although he might, since you're on it. Uh, but yeah, honorable oh, mention. No, he'll get on me about that for sure. Yeah. Well, at least I saved you. I tried to save you. Um, so yeah, honorable mention. You have to mention your dad. So all right. So I got a question before we let you go. All right. You said you went to the games but didn't pay attention until what midway through high school. So like, I remember a lot of people, and I would go to the games as a kid with my family who are still season ticket holders. And they would, like, go, I guess, more as a social event and, like, hang out around the scoreboard. Like, was that still a thing when you were growing up, like, to go to the games and hang out with your friend? Or did you just go and, like, sit in the stands and not pay that close attention? Um. Well, so when I was in high school, like, right, like, maybe, like, maybe, like, early in high school, freshman and sophomore year, all the kids used to, like, go down to the bottom levels and hang out. But I was different and I'd sit there with my dad through the games and then I'd get so so then I just didn't do anything like I was kind of bored and that I think that was really where I, I started paying attention because I was like well I'm bored sitting here but my dad's always gotten season tickets my entire life so um then I finally started sitting there and bless his heart I'd sit there and be like so what are, why are they doing that what are, what are they doing this for um and he would explain the game to me so um yeah definitely a lot of people were social um, I was never really that kid, but, um, yeah, it was really fun. Gotcha. Well, I'm glad you're paying attention now, and you, you do a great job for us on Hoist of Colors. And, again, hopefully we can get a vaccine out for COVID-19 and get all of our interns back 
in the stadiums and because you guys you and Alexis especially were doing some great social media stuff for us like with baseball before the shutdown even though y'all weren't technically working the game y'all would go and do you know Instagram stuff or Twitter stuff or or Facebook stuff and do some stuff like that and it brings a lot of value especially this day and age where so many people are on social media and you guys write great articles so I'm hoping to get all of our interns back before the end of this coming spring semester, because I know Alexis and Jonathan will be uh, graduating, I believe. So, uh, but we'll figure it out. And Lee, you did a great job for your your podcast debut. Uh, we went twenty five minutes, and it doesn't even feel like we went quite that long. So, uh, you did well. Thanks. I was a little nervous, but thanks. I'm glad. I thank you for that compliment. Cause I was a little nervous about it, but <laughs> no, nah, you did you did great, and we'll get you back on. I want to get you and Alexis back on at the same time and see what kind of controversy we can both stir up with all the stuff that you guys hear around <laughs> campus. Um, but we'll save that for oh an, <laughs> we'll save that for an off season podcast. Um, but Lee, thanks again for your time. Um, and we will talk to you again down the road. Thanks for having me. All right. That is Lee Pizzatella, our intern over at Hoist the Colors. We will be right back. Going to answer the rest of our questions on the Hoist the Colors message board. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, back on the Hoist of Colors podcast. Let's run over some of these questions here. Uh, Pats72JG, he wants to know, seeing that Dondre Watson hasn't pulled the trigger yet on one of his new offers, any idea if the staff is still recruiting him or have they moved on? All right, so uh, for those unfamiliar, Dre Watson was committed to Joe Dooley's staff and, you know, really, for whatever reason, started to get some bigger interest and opted to move on. And he was a 6'8 forward, um, originally out of Moravian Prep in North Carolina, uh, transferred to Bull City Prep, and uh, for whatever reason got some advice there and that led to him moving on. You know, from my conversations, I think ECU will still continue to recruit. Uh, Dre Watson, you know, I was hearing that he – was leaning towards committing to Maryland, but it sounds like they're not going to take him right now or, or maybe they're waiting on that. So I think ECU is keeping him warm, but they're not banking on his his recommitment, uh, so to speak. So uh, that is something you know, I think ECU right now with the, the scholarship situation, with players being able to not have a year count against them, uh, and being, being able to return next year, especially all the seniors, really you're kind of in a precarious situation. If you're Joe Dooley, how do you make this scholarship situation work? Um, 
again, you can have seniors, I assume, count against uh, or, or not count against the 13-man scholarship limit for men's basketball next year, but then you're paying for more. And ECU right now is a university and athletic department are not in a position where they can uh, stand to really pay but so much money for scholarships. So, uh, again, I think they're going to kind of take a wait-and-see approach with that scholarship that Watson utilized. You know, if he calls tomorrow and he wants to commit – I have a hard time seeing ECU pass him up, given the talent level there. But uh, I don't think there's a huge pressing need to fill that spot right now. So, again, we'll, con- we'll continue to keep you updated on uh, the Watson situation and on more on the Hoisted Colors message boards. I will say right now, I am not expecting John- Don Dre Watson to rejoin the recruiting class, but you never say never in recruiting. All right, Buck Wild 17 he asks, what are the redshirting rules for college basketball this year, is it still a percentage, 20%, basically asking about uh, Fifi Kwanzaa. So he's asking about the freshman Fifi Kwanzaa who's unlikely to play this year due to injury. So here's the deal with this year. Again, no, from my understanding, no player will have the eligibility counted against them. So there's no need to redshirt. I don't even know if you can redshirt. I guess you can technically redshirt in a year where no eligibility counts against you, but why would you? I, I would think that you would want to save that redshirt for a future year. So even if a guy doesn't play this season, I almost think you wouldn't want to take the redshirt because then you could technically redshirt him again next year because everybody's going to be the same class. If you come in as a true freshman, you're going to be a true freshman next year in terms of class, and then you could redshirt the next year. Like Mason Garcia for football, last year he was a true freshman. Next year he'll be considered a true freshman. He could technically – play in four games out of the 12 and still redshirt and then be a redshirt freshman in his third year in the program in 2022. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it is a possibility. Uh, With Kwanzaa, I do not expect him to play this year. Uh, In general, there is a percentage number on the games, but that is only for a medical redshirt situation. If a player plays in a game and doesn't have an injury, then his red shirt is burned. So that only a medical situation, I think, is 20% or less. But I'm not 100% sure on the percentage, and I don't think it really matters in a season like this where, again, everybody is getting their eligibility back. All right, Berg Pirate, he wants to know who are this year's early enrollees. Uh, let me pull up the commitment list right here, Berg. Um, but right now, I think you've got a handful, and again, these are committed guys. I'm expecting some more commitments this week. And those guys could join the program mid-year. Um, but Walter Simmons the third, the quarterback out of Orange Park, Florida. He's expected to enroll early. Richard Pierce out of Alabama is expected to enroll early. Cruz Temple, a linebacker uh, slash defensive back out of Abbeville, South Carolina. He will enroll early, as will Jacoby Simpson, a linebacker out of Cisco uh, College in Texas. So that's four. Uh, C.C. Clark, the offensive lineman out of Forsyth Central, he's told me that uh, he plans to enroll early, but I don't think it's been finalized yet. That would give you five out of the uh, ten commitments right now. And um, there's also a kid, Jaden Chalmers, who ECU is recruiting, that could enroll early out of prep school, but that is to be determined as well. All right, Zach, ECU, he wants to know, what are my thoughts and comments on Charles Coleman? He was big and talented recruit out of high school that everyone was excited to get. In games, he appears a little slow and just seems to lack explosiveness and aggression. It just looks as he doesn't get after it. What are your thoughts? I don't think – I do think Charles has 
heavy feet for a big guy. You know, he, he's not super explosive. You know, when he first signed, I told people on the board, you know, hey, this guy is a, is a high-caliber recruit, but he's going to need some major developmental time. And I think we're seeing that. I think for most big guys, it takes one or two years to figure it out. And he's not really getting the chance to play consistent minutes this early in the year. So I'm not making much of a judgment on Charles Coleman early this year. Last year uh, to this year, he, he seems to have taken a small jump, but not enough to where he's going to be out there you know, for 30 minutes as a seven-footer given this day and age in college basketball. It's just tough for seven-footers to play, especially early in the season. Charles is more the guy who's going to occupy the paint, you know, block some shots, maybe get some, some – uh, get the ball in his hands, hit some hook shots. Whereas Luigi Debo, the other seven-footer that's playing right now, he's more of a, you know, fast-paced, energetic, against these smaller type of teams, you know, he's a better matchup. For UNC Wilmington, for example, they didn't play anybody really over 6'8 or 6'9 last night, and most of the game didn't play anybody over 6'6. And so he was guarding a guy that was 6'6, 6'7 on the perimeter. Charles Coleman right now is not capable of doing that. Luigi can to an extent. So these games are a better matchup for Luigi. I think once you get into AAC play and you start taking on some bigger, you know, tough guys that are seven foot or six ten that can do more damage and that are bigger and stronger, that's when Charles Coleman becomes more valuable. So, you know, Luigi is more the I don't want to say stringy, but he he's more long and lanky. Uh Charles is more the built seven footer. They both can do different things. I think you'll see Charles more in conference play. I do think Luigi is ahead of Charles right now, but Luigi is a uh, fourth-year player. He's a redshirt junior, whereas Charles is a true sophomore. So I'm not going to write off Charles Coleman yet. I still think he's developing. I think the lack of a true offseason with COVID hurt him. I think he needs to get more explosive to play more minutes. But um, I always saw him as a developmental big man, and I think that we're continuing to see that. All right, our next question comes from S.E. Johnson. Any insight into protocols to allow for off-season workouts? What are the communication rules between staff and players while they are at home? Uh, parentheses, we had some weight issues this year. Not sure if you ever get to speak with Gilbert, but budget update. And with a solid season-closing win and a marquee opponent in South Carolina next year, we need to be proactive in selling 2021 tickets and then deal with the virus. Why haven't they already started marketing when we need money? Um, well, some fair, fair questions there. Um, you know, in regards to your first thing, uh, protocols for offseason workouts. Well, the players, uh, the position coaches are responsible for contacting the players in their position at least two or three times a week. And also each of the strength coaches, uh, John Williams on down are uh, responsible for a certain group of players. So they are in constant contact with those players. And Mike Houston has emphasized the need to work out, stay in shape on their own. They've also been given a, um, a plan. Uh, again, the difference with COVID right now versus earlier this year, um, a lot of the, the weight rooms and local gyms are now open and available. So the players don't have an excuse not to go work out now in most cases. And uh, also the ECU facilities are able to be used by those in the region, which you know a lot of guys will stay in town or come back after uh, visiting home for the holidays in their apartments. So they'll have access to the facilities and they should utilize them. Um, but it, it all comes down to it's on the players. The players have to stay on top of things themselves. They have to be self-responsible over this uh, extended period. And if they're not, they're going to get passed. It's that simple. They have to be better taking care of their bodies. They have to eat healthy. 
um, and they've got to stay on top of their game. I mean, this is big boy college football. Uh, you have to maximize your potential with nutrition, with working out. Otherwise, you're going to get left in the dust with so many talented athletes in the program around you and in the programs that are doing these things that you have to play against. So, uh, honestly, it comes down to the players, the coaches, the strength staff. They can do all they can do, but it comes down to the players uh, to execute it just like it does on the field come game day. As far as uh, the budget situation, the budget is in terrible shape. Unfortunately, with COVID, every athletic department's budget is in bad shape. And with the marketing, you know, it's a double-edged sword because if you go out and market a bunch right now, how many people are actually going to, you know, buy season tickets this early or plan to buy season tickets or plan to give when there's still so much uncertainty about the coming year? I mean, nobody knows how it's going to look. So if you spend all this money on marketing – I highly doubt you're going to get a big surge in tickets right now because people are still gun-shy about spending during a pandemic. Uh, and I think that it can kind of backfire that way. So you, you, I think you do have to be proactive and, hey, we have a big-time home schedule next year. We've got South Carolina, an SEC team, coming to Daddy Ficklin Stadium as much as possible. But I also think you have to play it smart. And um, I think if things clear up by the summer – in terms of the vaccine and having a handle on this pandemic and the country is in much better shape uh, or, or even the late spring, I think you're going to see a major surge in uh, ticket sales across all sports. And especially for ECU coming off a, a two game winning streak to close the year and with South Carolina on the schedule, you're going to have a lot of, a lot more season ticket holders than in past years. But I think just the uncertainty right now is what's hurting that situation. All right, Zach ECU, he says, I feel like we can have a true eight-man rotation of small ball and only play our bigs when needed. What do you think of this rotation? Uh, In Zach's rotation, he's got his starting five as Tremont Robinson-White and Tristan Newton at the guards, Brandon Suggs on the wing, and Batumba Baruti and Jaden Gardner uh, in the paint. And then off the bench, he's got Noah Farrakhan, Tyree Jackson, and J.J. Miles. Then only play... Coleman or DeBoe if we absolutely need them on defense thoughts and are we good enough to do this you know I think that I think your five is the best five Uh, maybe you would substitute JJ Miles for one of the guards depending on what you need but I think ECU has gone to this five for the most part at the end of games you know Tremont Tristan either Suggs or Miles and then Baruti and Gardner you don't have a player over six seven on the court but you've got a lot of versatility and you've got a lot of scoring ability. And so I, I do think that's the best lineup for ECU. But a lot of it, again, depends on who you're playing. If a team, let's say you're playing Cincinnati, whose best player arguably is Chris Vogt, a 6'11", 7-foot guy who's just who can take over games in the paint, then you've got to play Coleman or DeBoe. A lot of teams in the American have legit bigs. Radford, UNC Wilmington, North Florida, these teams do not have legit bigs. There's just not enough to go around. So um, I think you can do this in non-conference play. I think come conference play, when you're playing Wichita State, when you're playing Cincinnati, when you're playing these teams that have, you know, 6'10", guys that can score, then I think you really have to play Coleman and DeBoe for the majority of these games. I mean, that's just the way the American differs from the the rest of uh, ECU's schedule. So, yeah, I mean, in in a box – or in a vacuum, as uh, Ori always says on the Hoist Colors message board, that rotation is good and is your best rotation against a smaller, faster team. But I think at the end of the day, 
when you've got to match up with uh, you know Memphis's six uh, ten freshman, you got to do it with Luigi Debo. You can't do it with Potomac Baruti. Otherwise, it's just a complete mismatch. So uh, I think a lot of it is dictated by mismatches. But I do think that that lineup you have um, is the best at this time against this portion of the schedule against a team like SMU as well. That might be um, that might be the best course of action because SMU is a smaller team that likes to run and uh, shoot. So that might be the best course of action against a team like SMU in the conference. All right, ECU Jackie Moon. Uh, why does the basketball team seem to have such a problem with making passes directly to the other team? It has shown up in every game this year and in a lot of the ones last year. You do not see this happen often with other college teams. It's a combination of lazy passes and really not knowing what you're doing. You know, you, really, th- this game last night was the first time we've seen this be an issue. You know, because the first three games, I think ECU had 10 turnovers or less in every game. And that, that's a really good number. If you have 10 turnovers or less, if you have single-digit turnovers in college basketball, those are winning numbers. Last night, they had uh, well more than that. They made a ton of bad passes. You know, part of that was UNCW's speed and their style of play. Part of that was ECU getting flustered. Noah Farrakhan, as good as he's looked in the first three and a half games, I thought in the second half yesterday, you know, he just got a little overwhelmed. There was one time he drove uh, into the lane, kind of got lost, tried to make a pass, and it was just it was just a poor pass and uh, turned into a dunk or layup the other way. So uh, part of it's, you know, still learning how to play. You know, Tremont – you know the first three games, fifteen turnovers, no, um, fifteen assists, no turnovers. Excuse me. Then last night, four assists, four turnovers. Uh, that second half, you know, again, kind of got sped up, and UNCW had momentum, and there was a miscommunication on one or two of those throws. Um, but I, I thought it could have been a much better floor game for ECU, and UNCW style, like Kevin Keats at NC State. You know, their assistant worked under Keats. They play a pressure style that forces turnover. So I'm not going to overreact to this. I think if you continue to see poor passes like that going forward, then it is a concern. Um, I do think there are a couple guys on the team, you know, J.J. Miles and Tristan Newton, who do have a tendency to, to pass the ball lazily at times. You know, Farrakhan and Tremont are pretty crisp with their passes at the top of the key. You know, I'd like to see everybody kind of do that um, for the most part. But they do have to cut out the lazy live ball turnovers because those are free part, free points on the other end, and they're going to drive Joe Dooley mad if they keep playing like that. So hopefully last night's a learning experience. Uh, you look back at last season, early in the year, they had major turnover issues with the new roster. As the season went on, they played much, much better in that regard. And I think, I think last night will be more of an anom- anomaly than anything else. But we'll see. All right, Brett Hickman is going to wrap up our question segment with a question about himself. Is Brett Hickman the greatest three-point shooter in ECU intramural history? And he answers his own question. That would be a resounding yes. Had 46 one night, 10 triples. Pretty sure I could have played for Ricky Stokes. Honestly, Brett, I would have never pictured you as a shooter. So I am I'm surprised and impressed at the same time. And honestly... It sounds like you might just be the greatest three-point shooter in ECU intramural history. I did play one year of intramural basketball at ECU. I was more of an intramural softball guy during my time at ECU. Uh, we had a team that dropped some bombs, but then we would run into like uh, the scout football team who was also playing softball, and they would just drop a ton of bombs, and we didn't have a chance. So, um, But those, those were fun days, man. There were a lot of heated 
intramural ECU flag football games, ECU intramural basketball games, fun times at ECU as a student. And maybe, uh, Brett, you can get in on one of our media five-on-five games. Prior to COVID-19, we used to play five-on-five, four-on-four. We'd play some type of pickup game either inside Minji's Coliseum or the women's practice gym every single week on Wednesday. And that was a, a an absolute blast. And then, of course, the pandemic happened and all the facilities were shut down and we haven't played since probably February or very early March. I'm hoping to pick that up once again. Uh, we had some great media uh, contests and a lot of trash talk. Shout out to Tyler Feldman, who's the biggest uh, wimp when it comes to pickup basketball of WITN fame. So uh, I'll, I'll take that to my grave as we had a, quite a beef on the uh, Minji's Coliseum Hardwood uh, earlier this year, I believe, as hard as that is to believe. So, um, so yeah, looking forward to that. And uh, that'll do it for our podcast as that is all for our questions on the Hoist the Colors message board. Thanks again uh, to intern Lee for hopping on her podcast debut. Thought she did a great job. We'll have her on again. She's our fifth guest co-host, I believe. We've had, of course, Brett Hickman join us several times, the head coach at West Brunswick High School, doing a great job out there. Uh, we've had Sam Anderson, our former intern. We've had our current intern, uh, Jonathan Wagner. And we've also had Bobby Harward, who used to be on staff for Ruff McNeil. So uh, lots of good different directions we can take you in with our co-host. And, of course, we're always going to talk ECU athletics, recruiting, and more. Uh, again, sign up on hoistacolors.net. We're only eight days away as we sit here on Tuesday from the early signing period for football opening on December 16th. So we'll have full coverage of that. Again, new offers going out, new names. We've got you covered on HTC as ECU looks to compile a strong recruiting class under head coach Mike Houston. But that'll do it for this podcast. We'll be back maybe later this week with an emergency podcast following a couple of ECU commitments. But until then, we'll talk to you next time. I'm Stephen Igo. Returns with new episodes on Paramount Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.